look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and read verses 3 through 7. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God is, has called us unto, as I'll start again, verse 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. We read in Acts 17 that Paul spent three Sabbath days in Thessalonica. So that would be comparable to three Sundays, two full weeks, camp meeting. If we only had one book of the Bible, and if it was this First Thessalonians, we would, we are given enough to clearly understand the, the doctrine, the Bible doctrine of sanctification. And we'll spend nearly all of our time in this one book of the Bible. It, it, it helps us understand the believing side of the gospel. That's the theological side but also the behaving side of the gospel. That's the practical side. On the spine of my uh, Bible, I just looked to confirm because I, I looked to the, the other Bible up here, and it, it doesn't necessarily have the same wording, but I, I like the fact that my Bible and many of your Bibles are inscribed with the words Holy Bible. Whether it's inscribed that way or not, the content of the book tells us of holiness. And it also helps us understand what holiness is in, in that sense. After all, a book has no moral virtue in and of itself any more than this pulpit, which has been consecrated and dedicated, and we might even refer to it as a holy pulpit, it is holy in that sense. It's set apart to the use uh, for the glory of God. But this pulpit, nor this book, neither can pray and ask God to sanctify them. They're simply consecrated. That's what we do. When we come to God, and we heard about that on, on Tuesday, um, very clearly, we, we set ourselves apart. So this book is set apart. This pulpit is set apart. This uh, uh, tabernacle is set apart, where you're seated is set apart, and we hope those who are seated, where you are seated, are set apart and devoted to God. In that sense, you've sanctified yourself. But there's more uh, to it than that. That's the consecration aspect of, of sanctification. But in this book, uh, this Holy Bible, your Holy Bible, the problem of sin is introduced and condemned. But where God sees a problem, He sees a solution. And the solution is redemption. It's offered and described. Redemption is the means by which sinful man can be forgiven, 
cleansed and made holy. And that's our opportunity. The sin and holiness are in conflict. They uh, are opposing moral conditions. And common sense uh, tells us that. There is no sin in heaven, nor is there holiness in hell. There is no holiness in a sinner, nor is there sin in a Christian. Sin and holiness cannot coexist any more than light and darkness can coexist. One will prevail. One will be dominant. And that's the case with uh, sin or uh, and holiness. One will prevail. And we've proven that, whether we were saved young or old, uh, one prevailed and we became aware of it. Justification that gives life to the spiritually dead soul. When we were saved, God granted eternal life. I like the way that Spurgeon put it. He said, to, to wash and dress a corpse is a far different thing from making it alive. We need to be made alive in Jesus Christ. But there's more than that. We, we read in uh, Hebrews that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. And the writer is describing more than outward committed sins. He's also making reference to the inward sin condition with which we were born. Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. If he cannot save to the uttermost, he cannot save at all. But we've experienced his great salvation. And again, John wrote of it. He said, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, both outward sins committed and the inward sin condition. Sanctification is different than the justification. Justification has to do with the thoughts and actions, sinful thoughts and actions, whereas sanctification has to do with the underlying carnal condition. One is a result of repentance that has to do with an, uh, abandoning all that is bad. The other uh, has is the result of consecration, which is the, the product of bringing to the Lord all that has been now made good after we're saved. One forsakes evil, the other presents good. One leaves us forgiven, the other leaves us cleansed. One takes us out of sin, the other takes sin out of us. Now, now we know that our physical traits and our personality came from our biological parents. Whether favorable or unfavorable, this is one case where you can blame someone else. You can blame your parents for the, the, your appearance. I, I have had two parents. Uh, my mother prematurely grayed and had a beautiful head of hair. So some of my siblings, as they aged, well, actually before they aged, they in their 20s, they, they grayed and they ended up with a beautiful head of hair. Uh, that was from mom. Then there's dad. It's what we're stuck with. Either that dignified, gray-headed look or the alternative. But we were also born 
with another aspect that we inherited, and that is with uh, Adam's fallen nature. So with regard to what we inherited from our parents, that's, that's our human nature. With regard to what passed on through generations from Adam, that's our Adamic nature. Our moral condition came from Adam. Our physical traits and personality, some aspects uh, of it, came from uh, our mother and our father. So if you don't like your mother and father, you better take a good long look in the mirror because you are becoming them. Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So that which is born of fallen, depraved uh, a man is in itself uh, morally corrupt. Uh, we do not repent of that fallen carnal condition. We repent of the sins that flowed out of that condition. But after we have... Uh, receive the assurance of sa uh, salvation. We know we've passed from death into life. We've been born again. We want to go back to the Lord and ask Him to eradicate uh, that carnal condition with which we were born and from which flowed all of those sins that we committed, uh, whether they have, were in, in uh, action or in thought. We can, we can be morally, in appearance, uh, upright, but be horribly depraved. It, it's the thought. It, it's it's the, the thought of murder, even if murder has never been committed. It's, it's the, the desire or the lust, even if no action has ever been carried out. Jesus can forgive us of those things. With the fall, God-given affections are governed by the carnality, uh, the baser inst instincts of uh, human nature are, are, uh, will rise with time uh, to the surface. I've read that uh, some have described uh, carnality as natural desires gone wild. The subject really in an unsafe state, uh, particularly to the, our best efforts to restrain them. And ultimately, we have no power to restrain them if we've not been delivered from them through salvation. What began as a sinful orientation eventually becomes a sinful preference. Uh, the sin condition, like the disease in a body, has symptoms. And the Bible uh, gives us what we might call the, the ABCs of sinful activities or thoughts, uh, many of which the world tries to embrace and normalize, but uh, including if we go alphabetically, uh, we could go adultery, blasphemy, covetousness, drunkenness. We should add debate in there as well, which the Bible speaks against, debating, evil speaking, fornication, greed, and we can go on. If you listen to the catalog of those sins, and uh, some try to prioritize or call one sin worse than another. Sin is sin. One sin will exclude you from heaven. Every sin can be forgiven. And uh, every thought and action that is the product of that a corrupt moral condition can be forgiven. And that underlying uh, orientation that became a preference can be eradicated. If God can't do it for one, he can't do it for any.
Uh, he doesn't look upon them uh, uh, rated as uh, worst to the worst. But they're all bad, the same. But the blood of Jesus was shed on Calvary to atone for every one of them. And he suffered without the gate to sanctify and cleanse us from that condition. So be, to be saved, we must seek forgiveness for what we have thought or done and then cleansed. Um, and the Lord will do it. Holiness is different than uh, morality. Morality is subjective. Some believe that it's immoral to eat meat, to burn fossil fuels, to squash a long-legged spider, and any number of other things. Immoral to cut down a tree, even if it's dead. It's subjective. Holiness is more than morality. Uh, and the, the issue of holiness is the absence of carnality. Holiness far exceeds the human uh, standards of morality. The human standards of morality, which is what makes them subjective, they're defined differently, whether by culture, by ge geographic location, or by generation. But the Bible defines holiness by our relationship with God. And that standard or that definition, unlike subjective definitions of morality, that definition of holiness is not subjective. It doesn't matter where you live, the generation in which you live, uh, how old you are, it never changes. What was right 50 years ago or 100 years ago is right today. What was wrong then, and we go back to Bible times, is wrong today. It, it doesn't change with our more enlightened society or more enlightened culture. In fact, it looks like the more enlightened we become, the more depraved we become. Well, we, we're thankful that we can look to God to embrace holiness, but more than embrace it, experience it. First Thessalonians 5.23 We have these words, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you hear sanctification called entire sanctification? The answer to that is found in the verse just read. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Spelled W-H-O-L-L-Y. A synonym for holy is entirely, completely, and, and it's, it's described. So if we were to say to uh, some who didn't understand the distinction between holy, H-O-L-Y, and holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, we, we want them to understand that distinction by referring to entire uh, sanctification. And he defines that. Uh, holy uh, could be translated through and through, 
all in all, in every part, complete to the end, rather than partly, almost, nearly, by and by. You know, eventually, and some teach it that way. We don't understand the Bible to teach that way at all. We understand it to be a transaction as have holiness uh, preachers and denominations down through the century to be a second definite work of grace uh, subsequent to, uh, to justification. It's an experience. And many here have experienced entire sanctification. It's also uh, holy in the, in the entire uh, sense because he, he prayed that our whole uh, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless and be, and, and be sanctified holy. I mean, what else is there? If we take away your spirit, your soul, and your body, you're not, you're not there. Nor am I here. It's complete. It's entire. And uh, our entire being is first devoted to him by an act on our part of complete consecration, or we might say entire consecration. You cannot be entirely sanctified unless you are entirely consecrated. You, you cannot uh, give to the Lord 99% of your life, but withhold uh, something back there that no one else knows about except you. Put it on the altar. Entire animal in Old Testament times. And not just any animal. It was the one without blemish. It was offered completely. And they knew when that offering was accepted and consumed. Well, it's been provided for through the blood of Jesus. It's an instantaneous experience. It's not a, a, attained by way of a process or a time, but it's a, obtained in a, in a prayer that we pray to God. We're sanctified by the Holy Ghost, Romans 15 tells us. Now, consecration is not instantaneous. You all know that. After you got saved, you began to consecrate, even if it was a few minutes before you were sanctified subsequently, or if it was a few years. And perhaps you wrestled with uh, some things that you were reluctant to give to God. So uh, consecration can take place uh, over moments or, or over years. But, but once that consecration has been completely offered to God, a sanctification is instantaneous. You know when the fire falls. You'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. My first camp meeting in 1974, I was sitting back in the pews and or in the bench, whatever those are, those seats, and uh, my heart was strangely warmed. That was before I knew the, the Wesleyan experience, John Wesley's experience, and I thought to myself, could it be that that's sanctification? And then I, I went to the altar and asked God, if, that, if you sanctified me, just send that in again, and I'll know that you've sanctified me. And God said it again, and I knew I was sanctified. It comes to different people, uh, different ways, but uh, you know when you get it. If you don't know when you get it, you might lose it and not know when you lost it. That's true of salvation, too. You cannot grow inbred sin out of a heart any more than you can grow 
thistles out of my garden, and I say thistles because I think of the farm life where we had thistles. My brothers and I were, we went out into the field, and uh, I say my brother Dale and, and I probably disproportionately than my older brother and my younger brother, but, but who's counting, you know? I, I've let that go a long time ago, as you can tell. But anyway, we would go out in the pasture land and with a shovel, and Dad would always say, get out by the root. And then we could do that with most thistles, the tall ones that were so beautiful when they uh, blossom and spread their seed throughout the pasture land. We were glad to get them before that. But there was another thistle. And my apologies to all Canadians here. I don't know what the, the technical name is, but we call it the Canadian thistle. And that Canadian thistle would kind of crawl along, and we'd chop and try to get it and, and even dig down. But it has a root system that goes underneath. And try as we might, uh, eventually that old, uh, whereas the taller thistles, they were gone. They were dead. You'd never see them again. Not so the Canadian thistle. It crawls underground, and eventually it pops up here or pops up there. And that's the way it is with carnality. If that old man hasn't been eradicated, uh, he'll, he'll crawl around and eventually try, as you might, to suppress him. Uh, you, will, you will see actions and thoughts, even over time, uh, emerge that you think, ah, oh, that, that, that can't be, you need to be sanctified. I'm not talking about sins yet. When you get sin, there's victory over sin. You, 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 you go and you sin no more. I'm, I'm thinking of my first camp meeting again, where back... Uh, Behind what is now the, the Fellowship Lodge, we had cabins there, and I shared a cabin with uh, Brother Jack Chastine and invited me to, to uh, join him. I was, I was new and didn't know how, how things worked, but one day, uh, I, I, this is after I was sanctified, in fact, that's what stood out to me. The, uh, uh, I went out of the cabin door and somehow swung that cabin door with my fingers in the hinges and just squished my fingers. Uh, it hurt. And before I was saved, you would have heard a, a profanity-laced expression from what I was feeling right there. But instead, after I'm sanctified, uh, immediately the words came out, praise the Lord. So salvation took care of the temper. Sanctification put in, praise the Lord. And I want to be clear. I didn't say that, that after sanctified, God took care of the temper. God takes care of those things but when you're saved. Salvation, uh, sanctification is an instantaneous uh, experience. For, uh, four seven, God has not called us. First Thessalonians four seven to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Holiness and health come from the same root word in the Greek language, and holiness uh, is to the soul and spirit what health is to the body. When you're in good health, you feel good, you take a deep breath, and you're just glad to be alive, then that is the, the human nature, the physical aspect of you and of me. Well, that's what holiness is to the soul, uh, no matter what the conditions, even when you are not well physically. Holy, uh, good health and soundness to the soul uh, still allows you to uh, be relaxed in what you're encountering in life. It's not to say you're just delighted with what that comes your way in life, but you need holiness to stabilize you. You need to be sanctified. 
That, that's what uh, we see in um, one of the Bible where these who were sick were made every whit whole. And that's spelled with a W-H-O-L-E in as well. And that is to say you are whole throughout. Both the physical condition with which they came to be healed, but also the moral condition when they came to be forgiven uh, of, of their sins. Holy, but human. Holiness or entire sanctification eradicates our carnality, but not our humanity. I still have my dad's hairline. I thought when I got sanctified, I'd have that distinguished gray look. And I didn't really think that. I didn't think much about it, honestly. I just wanted to be sanctified. But we're left as we are. If you have a, a vibrant, uh, outgoing personality before you are sanctified, you're probably going to have the same personality. Well, you will after you're sanctified. If you're uh, more reclusive and, and subdued, that's uh, you'll still be that way. But no matter what your personality is, let it be holy. Let it be pure. So entire sanctification eradicates our carnality, but not our humanity. It makes us pure, but allows plenty of time and space for us to mature. And that's the growing aspect of the Christian walk. We don't, we don't grow into sanctification, but really, spiritually, we begin our spiritual journey and our maturing and growing process when we got saved. That's what led us to the point where we understood, well, I need to be sanctified. And we continue to grow and develop uh, until we're glorified. So if you think that once you're sanctified, you sprout wings and grow a halo... It's not going to happen. You're going to be the same person. You're just going to be pure within. Cleanse within. So don't put angelic or pre-fall expectations on, on the human experience. Don't be disappointed after you get sanctified that a trial comes your way. You, you still are prone to temptation. The devil still comes around and never forget. Adam and Eve were created holy. Temptation came to them in their holy state, but they were also created with a power to choose to do right or wrong, a power to turn away from uh, evil or uh, subject themselves to evil, and they chose the latter and plunged the entire human race into that corrupt and moral condition with which we were born. made in God's image, but Seth was born in Adam's image and in his fallen likeness. So that's the, the distinction. So we'll never be without fault in the sense that God is without fault, nor in the sense that Adam, before he fell, before he sinned, was without fault. We expect to still face physical, emotional, and mental limitations as a result of the fall. And that explains why a, a sanctified mother and a sanctified father can give birth to a carnal baby. 
he's part of what they are, actually. And that manifests itself soon enough. They're beautiful babies, and they grow into beautiful children and beautiful young people, but they need to be saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. I made reference to the enthusiasm uh, on the patio the other last night, I guess. Um, and we don't leverage the fact that we have personalities and apply that to the, their spiritual level, if you will. We allow our babies to act their age. You wouldn't tell a baby that Trina and Arthur refer to, baby Ella, uh, stop crying. No, feed the baby. You know, change the baby. Let the baby grow and develop and learn. And we, we're not going to tell our young people, don't be enthusiastic when you see your friends and mix like that. We allow them to grow and develop and learn, so we instead tell them, be quiet. <laughs> and they were. Last night. So far, at least. <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't, I have not heard otherwise, and I have heard that, that they were, of course. They're saved, they're sanctified, they're capable of self-monitoring, not just when they're around Christian people, but when they go out into the, to the world, to the classroom, and hear all this nonsense that is advocated nowadays, and they recognize it as nonsense. They don't necessarily, in fact, we, we don't want them to stand up and say to their teacher in a disrespectful manner, you're, you're, this is nonsense. So they have to discern and we must pray for them. And also we thank God for Christian educators who must sort through some of this stuff in public systems, but even in private systems. We thank God we need Christian educators. We need Christians in all aspects of life. So holy but human. So don't expect a higher IQ. Holy seniors and even some that aren't so senior develop dementia. In fact, their, their personalities uh, can change and act in a manner that they would have uh, not approved of uh, when they were younger. Well, that's, that's human nature. That's humanity. That's not a reflection of carnality. So we uh, must discern as parents or as uh, ministers and pastors to distinguish between what, what's going on here is uh, are we just seeing some uh, emotion uh, manifested as a result of human nature, or are we uh, seeing something that's a product, product of carnality? And even as we guide our young people who, who uh, have set out on a journey to walk with the Lord, if, if they say they have stumbled or, or done, I want to know, but did you really? Or is Satan just plaguing you? Are you just discouraged? I want to know. I'm not going to let you say you backslid if you didn't backslide. So sanctified students still must study to get A's. And I like the way it was put yesterday. It's not, some students, can, you know, they're not equipped to get 100%. They only may get 98%. I'm thinking, brother, oh, you only see my report cards. <laughs> Have mercy. <laughs> but, he, but, but he does. But he's a professor. 
His job is to challenge the students. So I challenge you, do it as unto the Lord. Don't be satisfied with 98%. So holy but human. But I like the behaving side. I like the practical side as well. So in Acts 17, we see... As I mentioned, I'm not going to turn it to it myself, but three Sabbath days, we spent some time there. And what we see through the writings here of Paul, I'm going to quickly uh, refer to in Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. I'll read only excerpts, so you may not even be able to turn as quickly as I read. But uh, he, he wanted to visit, Paul did, but finally sent Timotheus. But... Uh, because these had believed in much affliction and much uh, many challenges, as every Christian does. Um, but he wanted to know what manner of men were among you. And he goes on to uh, say how he wasn't saying it in a boasting manner, but he, he set the standard for them. 2.10, First Thessalonians 2.10, all of these will be First Thessalonians. You're witnesses, and, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. You saw our lives. We didn't just preach it, we lived it. Don't just preach holy, live holy. Live uh, holily, justly, and unblameably. Behave yourself uh, in, in a manner that reflects the gospel. And, and that means to these who have been taught, as it refers to, uh, to be saved and be sanctified and be prepared for the coming of the Lord, uh, that they needed to continue to mature and develop. And that's what we're talking about. 3.10, chapter 3, verse 10, perfect that which is lacking. That's why he wanted, he wanted to perfect that which was lacking concerning their faith. They were uh, morally where they ought to be, which is why they, uh, the, the humanity side could be perfected further. That's not to say they weren't sanctified. And verse 12 of the same chapter 3, increase and abound. And again, verse 13, unblameable in holiness. Chapter 4, verse 1, he speaks of abound more and more. There's no stopping on this race. There's no point where you can sit back and say, ah, I've arrived, I've made it. No, there is not. You abound more and more. Four, nine. Again, increase more and more. He was challenging them. So we want, we want to be uh, challenging, be challenged as well. <clears throat> he writes in 3, 5, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. The, the, the standard of Christian living is far different than the standard of worldly living. He was concerned that Perhaps some among them, well, he didn't want any of them to backslide. The best way to stay saved is to get sanctified. Simple as that. I understood that early on. Chapter 4 gives some description of what holiness is. 4, 3 to 5, I made reference to that. Holiness is sexual purity. The body is to be honored as God's temple, which it is. Uh, rather than an instrument of gratification. The, the world has gone 
crazy in bringing out into the open the lustful desires of what used to be, that used to exist behind closed doors. You know, please, put it behind closed doors. I don't care about your, your sexuality. I, I care about your holiness. Um, and holiness is sexual purity on, on all levels. You young people save yourself for marriage. I came out uh, of the, the world and noticed that I, I didn't date, not because I was morally uh, perfect. I was just an absolute coward and afraid of girls and knew they would turn me down. So uh, this isn't any reflection here, but I, I remember noticing uh, who my peers uh, wanted to eventually marry, a good church girl. <coughs> Well, I hope the good church girls, <clears throat> that they may have come around, <clears throat> pardon me, had enough sense to say in two words, get lost. Or in three words, get lost, bro. <laughs> you deserve better. Save yourself for marriage. And then uh, when you think... Uh, and don't get into this dating system where you recycle through. Forget it. You're worth more than that. You have greater value than that. So sexual purity, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. We're industrious. We're not lazy. American culture in the last few years particularly has rewarded abject laziness. I always understood, before I even knew the Bible, uh, what the Bible says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Get a job. And not a job where you're a paid protester. Get a real job. Study to be quiet. Don't get into meddling and rumors and all this business. Study to be quiet. And don't be drawn in and say, no, don't pester me with that. I, I know nothing about it, and neither do they. Twenty-one and twenty-two of chapter five. Yeah, uh, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. Conduct above reproach. Live in a manner to where, if you were accused, it wouldn't even be believed, because it runs in conflict to the character that we've uh, all seen uh, over the years. And if your humanity uh, uh, fails you, then uh, like we said last night, you own your failure. Don't excuse it. Don't justify it. Uh, don't say, it's the way I was born. No, you own your failure. And, and acknowledge uh, that, yeah, I messed up. And short of sin, you don't start over. You just simply uh, move forward. So conduct above reproach. Avoid even the appearance of, of evil. Don't be careless because carelessness <clears throat> can digress into to recklessness and then degenerate beyond that. Here's what, here's what holiness is, verses 16 to 18 in the same chapter, chapter 5. This is what happens spontaneously. It comes out of a holy heart. <clears throat> Rejoice in 16. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It just flows out. It's what's there. What's in comes out. Whether it's a Canadian thistle uh, or whether it's a beautiful Christian life. What exists within eventually emerges. May holiness emerge 
chapter 5, verse 24. God will sanctify you. I know He will because of this verse. Faithful is He uh, that called you who will also do it. Do what? Do what He said in, in verse 23 in the preceding verse. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Faithful is He who called you. He will also do it. You just must believe. Just as human, or just as sin, enter the human race through doubt. Back in Genesis, hath God said? It can only be banished by faith, by believing. If you're not saved today, if you only believe, God will save you. If you're saved and not, not sanctified, just a prayer away. God will give you that assurance, whether it's your heart strangely warm, or whether the fire falls in a, a demonstrative way and everybody knows you got sanctified, whether everyone knows or not, if you know and have that assurance, that's good enough. They'll know when you testify about it. God will do it. If you're really saved and, and really sanctified, uh, you're in a, a holy condition. You, you cannot prevent the Spirit of God from sleeping through your heart and life and baptizing you with the Holy Ghost. You just can't, you can't prevent it. He will come. He will fill you. He will empower you. He'll give us a good prayer meeting this morning. Let's stand and sing and have, look heaven's way together.